Real estate is built on personal branding. Whether you work for a major franchise or an indie brokerage, your first responsibility as an agent is growing your own list of clients and prospects. And with all that branding comes ego. It's everywhere, from the bus stop ads to websites and everywhere in between. Some would argue that ego is an asset. Project confidence, they say, and your audience will take notice. But for Pat Hyben, ego has a way of coming back to haunt you. Pat should have something of an ego himself. He's one of the few agents to have sold over a billion dollars worth of homes over the course of his career. But in an industry as speculative as real estate, Pat preaches the value of being conservatives, as well as building strong systems behind the scenes to capitalize on every opportunity, no matter how small. In this interview, Pat Hyben reveals the potential costs of ego in real estate and explains how an ego-killing decision like price reductions can actually make your business stronger. This is Steve Jolly from the Benchmark Realty in Nashville, Tennessee. This is Eric Simon from The Broke Agent. Hi, this is Pat Hyben from Rebus University and the Real Estate Rockstars Podcast. And you're listening to the Marketing Genius Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Genius Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes with the most brilliant real estate professionals and brands to uncover the latest digital marketing tools and tricks for your online arsenal. Now, here are your hosts, Seth Price and Matt Barbet. Pat, I am so psyched to have you on the show. I have watched you interact in the real estate space, really front-loading so much value to folks, which is why you came on my radar. I kept meeting folks that listened to your podcast, had been through your training, and were just committed to what you do. So one, thank you for doing your work, and two, thanks for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Seth. I'm excited to be on. So- You've sold over a billion dollars worth of real estate over the course of your career. I think I speak to a lot of people when I ask, how in the heck did you get, get to that level? Yeah, one house at a time. You know, I, I, <clears throat> I've been doing it a long time and I started out at 21 years old, you know, just hustling, Seth, just, uh, you know, learning the business and going at it. And then I think that, um, you know, I got lucky in, in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, and that I was very much in the team building um, where no one really was yet. Very few people were. And I, I had this nice team that I look at as a surfboard yeah. and a tsunami hit. And then the surfboard was so strong that we were able to ride that tsunami um, like a champ, like a professional surfer. And uh, we sold a lot of houses and made a lot of commissions in that, in that time. That's awesome. Um, you know, early on, what were some of the, the biggest challenges you faced or setbacks you had on the way to your, you know, your $1 billion, billion in sales? You know, I think that um, the biggest setbacks or the biggest, let's start with the challenges. I think, you know, because challenges are just kind of small potential issues or small daily challenges, you know, that we may think of the end of the world that day, but the next day everything's fine, um, had to do with um, team members and growth and clients, you know, clients being 
you know, upset that this wasn't right or that that wasn't right or, or someone said this or did this or made this mistake. And, and that was always, always fixed with uh, systems. You know, we would just never focus on the people, always focus on the system. And so I always did that. And I said, okay, well, that won't happen again because I'm putting in a new checklist to ensure that it doesn't happen again, no matter who who has this job. And, and I think as we grew bigger and bigger and added more and more people and had more and more people touch every single file, we had to create more and more systems to ensure that we didn't have these little challenges or setbacks or whatever they were on a daily basis. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, you've, you've seen a lot of agents come and go over your time in your experience. What does it take to succeed today in this industry? Like what separates a mediocre agent from a great one. Yeah, it's it's been fascinating to watch, you know, Seth, because I've I've kind of been out of the business since 2010, but really not probably more in it in other people's businesses with my podcast and my training university and of course writing my book and that sort of thing, but uh, what I've watched from the outside um is that um you know, there's been people that have come into this industry in in 2010, 2011, 2013, and just shoot straight to the top, Hmm. you know, and, and where in the past, you know, generally the top agents were the icons, were the people that, you know, had been in the business 20 years, you know, 30 years, you know, it was for an agent to jump in the business in four years and go straight to the top was unheard of, you know, 20 years ago. So, um, so I think what it takes is just a, a a belief system and a business mentality. I was analyzing this the other day. I had lunch with um, two top agents, Greg Harrelson, uh, one of the top Century 21 agents, and Jeff Cohn, one of the um, top Berkshire Hathaway agents. And um, they were in town for a Boomtown convention, and uh, they called me. We went out to lunch, and uh, we were talking about this. And uh, what we had cohesively come up with, with the answer to a similar question of this was just that agents that rise to the top really fast nowadays are business people. Mm. You know, they, they come in thinking, um, you know, I'm going to create a business and this is how I'm going to create a business. I'm going to, you know, do this to make commissions and then add people and then grow a business. Just like if you were open and say a liquor store or a shoe store, you would buy shoes and then you would, you would hire employees and you, and you would start day one with this whole business. You'd right? have a plan. Yeah. You'd have a plan and a, and a, and a vibrant bit or an active business from the first day you open. So I think rather than the, the philosophy of, you know, I'm going to sell one house at a time. And then when I get too busy that I can't do anything more, then I'm going to hire somebody. And then when I get too busy, I can't do anything. Then I'm going to hire somebody. They go and say, you know, just like the guy opening the shoe store, I'm going to open this business. And from day one, I'm going to have people and I'm going to have systems and I'm going to, and I'm going to create uh, customers. Does this yeah. make sense? It makes a hundred percent sense. I mean, I think so many folks, not only in this industry, but in others don't necessarily have a plan. It's a very loose, loosey goosey, like, yeah, I'd like to sell a bunch of houses and, you know, make some money. Well, how are you going to do it? And exactly how many houses are you going to sell and how much money are you going to make? Like, what's the end goal here? That's very interesting. You've talked a lot in your book and elsewhere about the importance of mentors in this business. You know, real estate is often seen 
as a self-made, and I don't mean this uh, negatively, but like a dog eat dog kind of profession, you know, you, whatever you generate is how you, you know, pay the rent. How do you find mentors in that environment? You know, you have to look for them logically, but they're, they're all over the place. So, you know, these, these rookies that, that, that contact me, ask me, you know, can you be my mentor or can you coach me? And I don't do that. Right. I don't coach. I, I don't sell coaching. So I always tell them, listen, here's the easiest thing you can do. Don't think to go to, you know, Mark Spain or, or some agent that's selling, you know, a thousand houses a year, find the rookie of the year in your office and go to that rookie of the year for last year and just say, hey, you were the rookie of the year last year. You were a nobody when you started here only 12 months ago. How did you do it? And then just emulate exactly what they did. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely education all around. Um, that's that's really good advice. Um, you know, one of the things that struck me about Rebus University is you're really focused on helping agents on the seller side rather than the buyer side. What made you focus on that? Well, I think that, you know, I believe that he who has the listings has the power and also he has the listings has the balance. So any great giant team is a generally a team is a listing team, you know, Mm. they, they make their money and they get their power from the listings. The buyers are simply a byproduct of the listings, Mm -hmm. right? If you have a listing, you're going to get buyers just from that listing from buyers calling on that listing. So, um, and I also believe that you have a lot of power in your time off. If you're a listing agent, even if you're the one doing the listing appointments, you can be, you know, um, you can take weekends off hmm. by by simply planning your listing appointments accordingly. Um, but if you have buyers, you're pretty much going to work every weekend. You can only handle maybe five to max seven to ten buyers at a time. Uh, that are active and serious about buying a house, if that. Yeah. But you can handle 25 listings, uh, even as a solo agent, um, just by yourself, you know, mm. um, just because of the control that you have with it. You know, the you have all these other people trying to sell it for you. Yeah, that makes complete sense. How do you, so you said if you have the listing, you don't necessarily have to work on the weekends, but how do you do that with open houses and all the buyers, agents wanting to see the house on the weekend? Yeah. Well, number one, there's always agents. There's always new agents in the business that, you know, want buyer leads. And so again, you have the listing and and they should be willing to sit the open house. Got it. You know, Got it. I mean, I, I, I just did a a program with Rebus for, um, with Chantel Ray out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. And she has a program where she guarantees every new agent $75,000 salary. Huh. And, and, and if they make 50,000 selling real estate, right, their first year, she gives them 25 grand at the end of the year. Now, what she does, and part of this, and it goes back to your question is, um, they're required to do open houses. And they're required to do like what what she calls monster open houses, 
which has, you know, X amount of signs and X amount of balloons and X amount of notifications on Facebook to all their sphere and, Mm -hmm. you know, X amount of people that have been door knocked to be told about the open house. So these are open houses that work and, 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 and so she has people sitting these open houses and I think any agent can get people to sit open houses. Showings are easy, right? Cause they're all done through a showing service anyways. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how has technology changed the way agents get listings today? I mean, you know, you think about all these tools that are available. What are some of the tools out there that can help agents grow their inventory? You know, that's, that's okay. So that's a great question because there's been several people that have tried to crack the code um, to get listing leads like buyer leads. Yeah. You know, you, there's, there's, a, there, there's 10 companies you could spit off right now that give agents buyer leads. There's not 10 that you can spit off. It would be hard to get one that is a, um, a simple lead generation source. There's some that give algorithms. Do you know of any? No, I mean, I think there are a bunch of services that can focus on seller leads, but they tend to be one more expensive and the lead flow is a little, is less than buyer leads. Yeah. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, the buyer leads, um, could be a lot less powerful. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. is it really a lead? Yep. Um, where if they give you a seller lead, it, it, may be more powerful. It may be stronger. I, I don't know that, but, but yeah, they're, they're expensive. Um, but they're not, there's not a million of them. And I don't think anybody has it figured out completely yet. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, it's like the Holy grail, right? Because finding a seller at that moment when they're close to listing their property has to do with a lot of data and insight. And it's very difficult to do that, but folks show intent for buying so far ahead of when they're going to buy that you can, you can sort of guess, right? They're searching in neighborhoods. They're searching for types of properties. They're visiting Zillow, Redfin, your site, all of those things. And so it's a lot easier, um, than doing the seller leads. Yeah. So I, I think that eventually the data will be there where, um, certain behaviors, such as going to Lowe's to buy some things to fix up your house and you haven't been to Lowe's in 18 months. So why are you going now? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and, and all kinds of information will come together and make you a predictable seller. And it, and it exists now. I know a lot of these services will say, Hey, you know, uh, this person's been here seven years, you know, um, whatever they can tell uh, changes in their behavior have happened. Um, they're likely to sell. Yeah. Right. And then they give you this list and then you can target door knock or target mail, you know? Um, and I think all that works. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, good listing behaviors with leads like that boil down to two words and that's follow up. <laughs> you and I talked about this before. Yeah, yeah, continue. That makes complete sense. Most people yeah, don't do it. So if you get somebody that's say in a house seven years and the average time to be in a house is six years, um, and you call them once and they say, not yet, but maybe in two years, most agents are not going to follow up. But if you have a system that follows up or you do it yourself. I used to do it myself where you just say, Hey, you know, every three months, how you doing? 
just checking in, um, you know, uh, you're still thinking about selling, you know, um, I had a great uh, guest on my show, Ricky Caruth, and and um, what Ricky does is he has certain condominiums in Florida, certain condominium complexes where just about every quarter he will call the absentee owners of these condos that are rented out or their vacation rentals or whatever, you know, just or second homes for these people. Hey, this is Ricky Caruth. Just uh, you know, we've talked three times in the past. I just wanted to see if you need anything when you're in town. Let's get together. I'll buy you a lunch. That's you great. Know, and, and th- these are people he doesn't even know. Yeah. Right. But, but they know that he's the real estate agent that calls on his condo development. And then he'll even say, you know, Hey, you know, two, two condos just sold one, one, three bedroom sold for, you know, four fifty, and another four bedroom sold for 600. Just FYI, have a great day. Bye. And so that's that's follow up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm exactly. people that haven't even indicated they're going to sell. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can inspire someone to sell by giving them the right information. Yeah, absolutely. Or um, just have them. Yeah, maybe I should sell. You know, I haven't been there in a year and a half. Yeah. You know? Something I thought was really interesting is you offer a course on price reductions and how they can actually help grow your business. Why are price reductions a good thing for an agent? Well, because I think it 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 spurs things on. Uh, it, it creates a an energy like a new listing will create. Mm. And in in this course, we t- talk about um, the miracle blank, and we either want to call it the miracle month or the miracle week or the miracle weekend, depending on your market. And that that time frame is, you know, the f- first weekend you're on the market or the first week that you're on the market. And generally what happens in that time frame is all these agents, right, that have buyers that have shown the buyers other houses and the buyers have not liked any of them go to show yours because you're the new kid on the block. Yeah. You know, all these buyers. But then after that week or after that two weeks or whatever the period is, those buyers are all used up. So Mm -hmm. the only buyers that are going to look at your house is a brand new buyer that just came on the scene. That's looking at your house and 10 others. Yeah. Does this make sense? Yes, it does. But the seller doesn't understand this. And they're like, well, you had in the first 10 days, you had 12 people through and now it's been another month and only one person's looked at it. And they think it's because you've lost excitement for it. But in reality, it's just a phenomenon that, happens, you know, to any new listing. So when you get a price reduction, it creates that new energy where if there's a buyer or a series of buyers out there that have already seen everything in a price range, let's say you're at 525 and uh, you have a, a group of buyers that looked up everything, looked at everything up to 500 and you drop the 499.9, all of a sudden you're going to have this surge, hopefully, of New buyers who have seen everything up to four ninety nine, everything up to five hundred, uh, and hate them all. And then there's this new listing in their price range, and they're all going to rush to see it. So yeah. it, it creates that energy again, and it creates that pool of buyers again. That makes complete sense. You know, the the home sale is it's so emotional. Um, how do you manage sellers' expectations? Because that seems like that's one of the biggest challenges when you're focusing on listings. What are some of the do's and don'ts in dealing with them? 
Wow. That's a great question. Um, here's, 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 here's something that happens a lot, I think. So you have it on the, you have it on the market. You've been through this miracle week. It's been about, let's say 30 days. You're going, you're going to call them and, um, let's say, you know, number one, you can explain to them at the listing appointment about the miracle week. You can explain to them, Hey, this is what happens. Expect this to happen. You know, it's just like explaining to a buyer, listen, after you sign this contract, you're going to go home and guess what's going to happen. You're going to get buyer. You're going to get buyer's remorse. Yeah. But listen, that's normal. Everybody gets buyer's remorse. Just part of the process. Just breathe deep. Let me do my job, you know? So it's just like telling a seller, this is what's going to happen. You're going to hit this period where everyone's going to look at it and then it's going to go silent and you're going to be like, what's going on? And you explain it to them. So that's the first thing you can do, but chances are they're going to forget that conversation. And 30 days later, they're going to be like, what has he done for me lately? Yeah. And um, if, if you call them and immediately ask for a price reduction, the first thing in their mind is going to be, what are 10 things that Seth can do besides me dropping my price to get my household? Yeah. You know, yep. you know, what, what about a bigger open house or what about this or what about this or what about this? So you have to call them, uh, strategically. And what we do is we say, okay, you call them about three days before the 30 day mark with a really stupid question. Like, um, somebody wanted a plat of the yard and they had a question. It looked like there was a, you know, whatever, what year did you put up the fence or just some, some question. Maybe it's a real question from an agent. Maybe it's a made up one. Maybe it's just um, a, a random question. You come up with a question of a reason to call them. So you, the reason is not the price reduction and you chat with them and you're kind of letting the air of the bag, air of the balloon, you know, letting them vent a little bit talking about, yeah, man, it's been slow. You know, you bring it up, you go, yeah. you, you didn't let them bring it and say, man, it's been slow. You know, we, we came out so strong. I knew that was going to happen. And I really thought we'd sell it, but it didn't. And a couple other agents I'm talking to are having the same thing. They're not getting any showings either. Da, 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 da. So then you let that conversation go. Then you wait like three days, then you call them back again. So it's not such a surprise now when you're calling them and uh, you go in for the price reduction. But when you go in, you don't let them get defensive and say, um, you know, how about this? How about this? How about this? You go in and say, here, I got a plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have this bombastic monster open house. We're going to we're going to uh, tell all the people that are going to be visiting for this festival. We're going to put brochures down by the festival, blah, blah, blah. But you come up with some plan, right? Some creative plan. Mm -hmm. And then you say, um, and the best way to have major impact when we do that is to, is to reduce the price. How about, how about we reduce the price to, you know, four ninety nine nine, and then we could say, you know, just reduced, you know, new price, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all the ads and everything that we're going to put out, cause we're going to do all this anyways, we might as well do it all together. Yeah. And get, and our, get our best bang for our buck. Yeah. And so you've already, you know, taken the wind out of their sales of all this stuff you're going to do regardless. And then you say, let's just make it even more special, reduce the price. 
that makes complete sense. Um, is that something that you used to do? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, um, sold my team to my top agent, uh, back in 2010. And, um, that's what he does now on a regular basis. That's great. I mean, let's talk a little bit about teams. Um, They've become more and more popular since you were doing it. I know you've taught some courses on the subject. What, in your view, does it take to build a successful team? Number one, profit. You know, I don't think, uh, I think success is an ambiguous term when uh, agents look up to industry icons. And that's, and that's why I, on my show, I always ask every agent, you know, um, what is your ECI, which is your ego commission income, and what is your net profit? And <laughs> so explain that for folks so they understand ECI. So, so ECI is ego commission income instead of GCI, which is gross commission income. Because a lot of agents will come on the show, and I've probably had 50 agents come you know, on the show with you know, four to five million GCI or better. And inevitably, I'll ask one, um, you know, what's your net profit? And they'll say something in the lines of, well, my net profit, well, really what's going on, Pat, is we're taking all of our profits and we're putting it into marketing so we can blow it out next year. Yeah. You know, we're putting all our profits back into the business. Well, that's BS because, you know, marketing is an expense. Yep. So it's the same thing as one guy having 10% marketing costs and another guy having 30% marketing costs. It's, just, it's not profit that you're putting back into the business. It's expense. You just have a larger marketing expense. And, and to me, that's such a joke. It's like you don't have profit. You have this huge team and you have this ego and you're on stage accepting an award Right. Yeah. And everyone's coming up to you like you're the best. Will you come speak in my area, you know, on how to be such a great agent when in reality their, you know, their tax return is is paltry. You know, yeah. some of their top agents are making more money than they are. And and I can say this because I've had points in my career where that was me. I'll yeah. never forget. I, I, you know, went I was at a company called Long and Foster and I was, you know, the top agent in that office. And I was recruited by a Remax office where, um, there was about, tw it was a small one. There was about 20 agents, but I came in and they touted me up like, uh, this, you know, we, we, sh we got this guy. Right. Yeah. Um, and, um, I got this big desk and I got this big, um, you know, office and, and, you know, I, I had all this, pomp and circumstance, so to speak. And I went into just a major slump, you know, I couldn't sell anything. Yeah. And people even told me like, damn, I thought, you know, what's going on? I thought your name was going to show up all <laughs> over that board and it hasn't been up yet. And, um, and I was losing money, um, at, at, at a certain time. And what I did with that is I started just spending money. I started buying business, yeah. which is easy to do, especially in an ascending market like we're in now. It's easy to buy business now. And that's, uh, you know, it's a legitimate way of getting it, whether it's television, radio, Zillow, you know, realtor.com, yep. pay money to make money. Um, so I was buying business and buying business. And at the end of the day, I, I, I made it into like the you know, the top agent at that office, I made it into the top agent in that County and like the top five in the state. And, and, uh, at, you know, my 
tax returns that year. I made like 10 grand, you know, and, and it was all because of ego. I was embarrassed, you know, and I, that's true story. I did that, you know? Yeah. And so what do you, so when folks, when you try and sort of take the veil and put some light on reality for where people are, you talk about the ECI, how do you get them to the point where they're thinking about actual profit? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, you have to, you have to want it and you have to be okay with it. I think some people are not hungry enough for profit. You know, they, they don't realize that, you know, the American way, the way capitalism is supposed to be, is you're supposed to be hungry to make profit. You know, profit is good. You want to make as much money as you can. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that uh, some people don't have that inner hunger, you know, where, you know, they would do whatever it takes. And, and, you know, when I say do whatever it takes, I mean, you know, that's legal and ethical and, you know, doing the, still doing the right thing, but do what it takes business-wise to make a lot of money and be proud if they're the only one that they can talk about. Cause a lot of them can't talk about, you know, they don't want to talk about to their team that they made a million bucks. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. of course they're afraid their team's going to want to raise. <laughs> yes. You know? Yep. Um, so they just have to be okay with it within themselves to make a lot of profit and to know that it's good to make profit because here's the, the reality, Seth, you know, I know agents that, 20 years ago were killing it, killing it profit wise and are broke now. And so you, as an agent, you have to think beyond this year. You, you can't think, Oh, 150,000 is enough profit for one person for a year because you really got to think like, I need some money to survive after the market crashes. Yeah, I need some money to survive 10 years from now in case, you know, um, we have 10 months of inventory and, um, every other listing is expiring on the market and it's hard to, it's hard to make a commission. Yeah. And, 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 you know, markets like that do happen and it will happen. You know what I mean? It's, um, I don't know when, but, but, uh, as an agent, you have to think, I want money now. I need to build wealth now for the future. I don't care if, if you're 27 years old, you know, um, you want to start building wealth now because their winter will come at some point. Yeah. And you want to have some wealth built for that. So don't be shy of making 400 grand and putting it all in your pocket for now um, at all. You, you have, you know, you need to be taught that that's an okay thing. This goes back to what you talked about at the beginning, which is if you're thinking about building a, a business a business has a P&L, which is a profit and loss statement. And at, at the end of that, there's a number that's either you're losing money or you're mm. making money. And that's the profit. <laughs> and that's what you need to focus on. Because then as you're making decisions, you can go, hey, my marketing expense maybe isn't as big as it should be, or it's way too big, or I'm chasing things that aren't actually driving you know, profit to the bottom line, i.e. growing my team too big, maybe not doing enough of the work myself, any, any number of things that can lead to that. That makes complete sense. Um, you run a highly productive coaching business and you, 
you've had a really, you know, fantastic real estate team. You've got this podcast, you've written a book. How do you make time and keep track of it all? Well, I'm, I'm less busy than, than you would think, to be honest. I don't work Mondays and Fridays. So I just, I just work for the most part, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, the answer to the question is what I did is what I preached basically. So, so I built this business, you know, for 20 some years, um, consider it gambling, right. In a way Mm -hmm. for, you know, the decade between 1997 and 2007, where, you know, um, we as real estate agents were at a winning craps table. Yeah. So we're in Vegas, you know, this is, this table's hot, (laughs) you know, other markets, car industry, whatever, um, other industries, um, weren't so hot. So those tables were cold tables. So everyone started coming to this hot craps table. Uh, we kept winning everything we touched, every number we bet on, we rolled. And that would be like uh, opening a mortgage company, opening a title company, which I did both of, um, you know, creating all kinds of programs, trying out a television commercial this way. And guess what? Everyone called on it and trying it this way. And guess what? More people called on it. And, you know, you couldn't lose to a point where boom, it all stopped. Right. Yeah. So what I did, you know, where some didn't, some personal friends didn't, um, is I just said, okay, let me take the money, go back to my hotel room, put it in a safe, turn on a movie and not leave the room. Right. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. It, 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 you know, looking back now, I say, say to myself sometimes, well, maybe I should have got back in the game, you know, back around 2012, uh, because I'm interviewing people on my show now that started in 2012 and are making a million dollars net. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I did it for other reasons too. I did it because, um, my kids were in middle school getting ready to go into high school and I wanted to be there a lot in their high school years, um, before they left for college. Um, and I wanted to just be, you know, focus on uh, wealth building. So, so what I did with, with some of that money, um, is, you know, continue to build wealth. You know, I had already been buying rental properties. I had already been investigating apartment buildings and things. So I bought, you know, a shopping center. I bought, um, I'm some bought into some apartment uh, buildings, did some syndicates on apartment buildings, did, you know, bought a couple more uh, little rent rental houses in Baltimore um, and just continued to buy. I bought into about 16 random companies, some of which succeeded highly, some of which have completely failed um, and um, and just created a lifestyle where I could live off the income that comes in sideways, like the mailbox money that Mm. comes in from all these businesses and all these, um, investments. And so, um, so that's how I'm able to basically do whatever I want. And Gary Keller says this in the one thing, he says, financial freedom is not, you know, being free of work. It's being, it's, it's, it's having the freedom to do whatever work you really want to do. Yeah. And so I decided that my 
work that would make me feel productive because being an investor felt great for a while. But as soon as you start losing a couple of deals and you start feeling out of control, you start feeling like, well, let me do something that's going to give me the sense of production. Like I'm going to produce something, but that I'm in control of. And so that's when I created the podcast and then hence that's when I created Rebus University because I, I you know, I'm a hundred percent owner of both. So I can say I can be in control of this, Yeah. you know, it rises and falls with me and I can get that sense of work where I feel like a productive person. Um, and, uh, at the same time, I'm not, you know, a raging workaholic where, you know, I have to work all the time because I have these horizontal income streams. So that's how, that's how I'm able to do it. And I really only do what I want to do. You know, my, my, um, everything else is leveraged. Um, and what I want to do is meet people like you, meet agents, talk to agents. It's just like going to uh, a big seminar or convention and going to the bar and, and, and <clears throat> spending three hours at the bar and meeting 20 agents that have uh, incredible ideas of brilliant ideas. It's like, man, I got more out of that three hours than I did out of two days of classes, yeah. you know, yeah. I've always felt that way. And so, so that's what I, I do on my show. And that's what I try to do with Rebus University, where we find people like Chantel Ray in Virginia beach who have these best practices, this boot camp, so to speak, that she calls five alive, where, if you don't, if you don't, if you follow the five alive, she's going to make sure that you earn 75 grand or more in commissions. Most make like 102, I think on average, um, because she's putting you through this never ending boot camp. That's great. Um, and, uh, and I said, wow, that's really cool. Let's film it, you know, and let's make a class out of it. So that's um, awesome. Yeah. Pat, I love this episode. Love this interview. Thanks so much for taking the time. What's the best way for people to find out more about you and more about Rebus? So more about me, you can just go to padhyben.com. That's my main website. It has links everywhere. Um, Rebus is rebusuniversity.com. We have, um, you know, multiple courses on there now and, um, uh, and we're always adding new and exciting courses, just rebusuniversity.com. And if you use the promo code podcast, I'll make this special for uh, this episode here. If you use the promo code podcast, I'll give you 50% off your first class that you decide to take, whether it's the price reduction or the five alive or the, the listing agent one. There's plenty. Go take a look. Awesome. You're listening to the Marketing Genius Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Price. Connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Seth Price. Connect with me on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Ask the questions that you're struggling with, because one of the things that we get out of doing these podcasts is we get to dive deep. And so your questions help me focus because I can ask the guests things that maybe you wouldn't ask them face to face. Um, Thanks for listening and have a fantastic, fantastic week. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Genius Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to write us a review on the iTunes store. For our full episode archive and access to exclusive bonus content, visit us online at playster.com podcast. If you have feedback about Marketing Genius or want to suggest topics and guests for future shows, drop us a line at podcast at playster.com. Don't settle for mediocre marketing. Become a marketing genius and start growing your real estate business online.
The Marketing Genius Podcast is brought to you by Playster, the digital marketing platform for real estate professionals, brands, and organizations of all kinds. With beautiful websites, lead management tools, marketing automation, and an academy featuring the latest tools and tips, Playster offers real estate professionals everything they need to succeed online. Learn more at Playster.com.